right, all right. Good morning, good morning. Oh, great worship in the presence of the Lord. Good to see you. I'm glad you're hanging out, talking, spending time with people you love to spend time with. A few announcements here. First, this Friday, this is the last announcement, this Friday is Volunteer Appreciation Dinner. We will see you here at 6 o'clock if you volunteer at this church in any capacity or if you're the immediate family of someone who volunteers. So this Friday, we will see you here for a party. Next, we've got baptism. All right, if you have not been baptized, you've gone through growth track or you have just I know adults that have never been baptized, or you've been saving, serving the Lord a long time, you've never been baptized. Water baptism will be a part of our service. We always make it a part of our service, a celebration. That is September 15th. That is here. There is a sign-up sheet out there. There is also a sign-up sheet out there, and you see on your screens. Who's married? Who's married? Come on now. Don't be bashful. Come on. Yeah, I'm married. Thank you, Lord. He that finds a wife finds a good thing. Yeah, be excited about that. So if you are married, our marriage class starts on September 18th. It is eight weeks. It is at this church, video-driven. It is an excellent marriage on the rock by Jimmy Evans. Very good. I encourage you, if you want the grass greener, water it. Amen? If you want it greener, go to a marriage class like this. And lastly, women's breakfast, September 28th, here at the church, 9 a.m. All right, that is announcements. That's what's going on. Enjoy the last weekend of summer. I know you got meat marinating already, hopefully. The hardcore grillers, they, already, they started yesterday for Monday. It's like a three-day process for them. They're already going at it. Well, um, let me tell you what I like. I like personality tests. We take those personality tests here. Anyone ever took one of those personality tests? We, we, if you're a member here, you, you've taken one. I like those personality tests. What if there was a personality test for Jesus? Well, I would like to read that. Who would like to read that? There is. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 6 through chapter 15. It's called the seven I am's. Jesus proclaims seven I am's of who he is. It is his descriptive personality. So over the next several weeks, we're going to start a series today called the seven I am statements of Christ. Let's explore the personality of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Is that worth studying? Yes, that's worth studying. Let's explore who he was, how he thought, how he functioned, the personality of Jesus. There's a great quote that says, men, it's on your notes right there, men have presented their plans and philosophies for their, men have presented their plans and philosophies for the remedying of earth's ills. But Jesus, the great I am, stands alone in presenting not a system, but his own personality as capable of supplying the needs of the soul. He alone, his personality alone, provides the needs of the soul. So let's jump in. Matt, um, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. But I got to give you some backstory to get everyone on, on the same page and understand this. This is the last gospel written. It's the latest it's not the synoptic Gospels. The synoptic are similar, are Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is written between 80 and 90 A.D. and is different for three main reasons. It's many, but for the three main ones is, one, it's written very late. So it's after the fall of Israel, uh, the destruction of the temple. It's John, you know, you just have, you understand more about things if you've seen the whole movie than you stop and try to write a review on it two-thirds of the way through, Right. John has the full picture here. He has a bigger picture. 
So it's the complete gospel because it's written later. It has the most teaching on the Holy Spirit. And John is older and has such great revelation of who Jesus is. It's the most theological gospel because if you read John 1.1, it starts heavy. It starts big, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And He was from the beginning, all things created by Him and for Him. And just It's huge in its theological scope. That's the way John 1, 1 through 5 starts. And then thirdly, it's the evangelistic gospel. So John uses the word believe over 100 times. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, none of them come close. They don't break the 50 barrier. John over 100 times. So that makes it very different in its scope. So let's set this up. Jesus in John chapter 6 has just fed the 5,000. It was so miraculous. They try to force him to be king. They're like, they're going to make him king by their own will. Jesus puts the disciples in a boat to head out. He goes up to the mountain. And we pick it up in John chapter 6. I'm going to read 22 to 26. And then our notes will start in verse 26 just to give us some backstory. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which the disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, they don't know where he went, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. It's got two different names. Near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. So right close to, you can look over at the top of the hill. There's where he fed the 5,000. They're down at the water. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now they're going to cross the sea because that was the quickest way and still is many times to get across by water. And there's a lot of, it's funny here. Everyone's got a boat in this story. The disciples have a boat. Everyone's got a boat there. Listen, if you don't have a boat, you come up for prayer later. I have a boat, and I'm going to pray. I have high faith in this. This is We understand these people, right? These are people. Everyone's got a boat here. Just go down to Erath. There's one car and three boats in every driveway, right? Isn't it true? It's so true at the Delcom Canal. This is kind of this culture. It's a water boat culture. If they weren't professional fishermen, they were connected to it. They understood it. It's a strange thing. If I had to tell someone else from a landlocked site, hey, get in the boat and follow them, they'd be like, whoa, whoa, what in the world? Tell you guys, they're like, yeah, good, I'll go get my boat. So that's the culture here, what's going on. Verse 25, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when, do you, when did you come here? Okay, now they find him in the synagogue. It tells us later on in the chapter. They find him at church in the synagogue. Also, they ask him a question. How in the world did you get to this place? Well, we know how he got to this place, the Bible tells us. The disciples scared in a storm. Jesus meets him walking on the water, right? Famous story in the Bible. It's funny to me that he actually does not tell them. He does not answer their question. He doesn't, he doesn't tell them this amazing, miraculous story. Why does he tell them that? This amazing story, he instead brings the focus right to where they are and where their heart is. Talking about miracles may not be the fastest way to change the heart of mankind. I'm a miracle, right? There's miracles in the Bible. We believe in miracles. 
The same God that's right here is the same God we serve. But Jesus doesn't talk about the miracle. He could have. He could have talked about how he had, he, he, I'm going to tell you how I got here. Because there's no way physically he could have walked around the sea. He didn't have time. It was slow. There was no roads. It was just rocky all the way around. They know there are no other boats. That's why they're legitimately asking, there is no physical way for you to get here. He could have said, let me tell you, but he didn't. He didn't want to do that. What he wanted to do was get into their heart. He wanted to get right into their life. So that's where we find it here. Verse 26. Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now here's the turn. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. This is speaking of his baptism. When he went down in the water and and he came up, a voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him like a dove and stayed. That's a seal. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the man in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, the first of the seven great I am's. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall, he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So here's the first of the seven personalities, the seven I am's of Christ. So let's break this down. Let's learn something new from the word of God here. Let's look at this. Verse 29 says, And Jesus said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who sent me. He answers their question saying, Hey, how can we do what you do? How can we produce like you produce? Because that bread thing was unbelievable. I don't care what we have to do. I just want my portfolio to look like yours. Let me tell you why they would have asked this question. We need to understand the, the, the time in the history. So I've said before, Rome ruled the, that's a tough one to say three times, Rome ruled the political and military world. But there's always a subculture or subcultures that rule in other areas. Greece ruled the uh, entertainment and the philosophical world. It ruled myths, legends. You probably read or watched movies about uh, you know, uh, Greek mythology and Zeus and Hercules and all those things. Well, there is a popular story also in the Greek world that talks about a king, a king who was vain, but he got a prayer answered that if he touched anything, it would turn to gold. In fact, this story is talked about by Aristotle in 322 AD. Aristotle talks about and makes this story even more popular 300 years before Christ. 
We know the story because there's actually an auto company named in America after this king, who if he touched it, which was foolish of him because he started touching roses, and great, he's got golden roses everywhere. But then his daughter comes in, he touches the daughter, he turns to gold, all these you know, fables and myths, which he end up dying of hunger. That's the, you know, died of hunger at the end of the, the story. This was a popular story. And you think, well, that's a, fi- a silly fairy tale. It is. And these people would have believed the same thing, right? They would have known, okay, this is a little too much. All right, Greeks. But if this story's playing in your mind, like a superheroes are super popular now, and we see someone flying through the sky, you would think Superman's here, right? So for them, they see Jesus take five loaves and two fishes and feed thousands. What's playing in their mind? This is Midas. He's got the golden touch. Not that he's physically Midas. They think, oh, goodness, this is what we want. I tell you what, we don't have to be king. If we make this guy king, he's going to take care of us forever, right? If we support him and get him on the ticket and get him elected, we're going to be in his cabinet. That's their mentality. That's what they're thinking. So here's the picture, and Jesus brings it to the most brings them to their heart brings them in a mirror brings them to truth and this is the way he does it so they say look what do we need to do to do these works how can we make this happen more it's it's amazing it's phenomenal rome would stand no chance how can we do it and jesus looks at him and says verse 29 jesus answered and said to them this is the work of god This is the greatest. This is greater than Midas. This is greater than Rome. This is greater than anything you produce. This is greater than the miracle you just saw. That's what he's saying. What I'm about to tell you is greater than me feeding the 5,000. In fact, they say, listen, I know you fed thousands for a day, but I'm going to tell you, Moses fed millions for like years. Come on. And Jesus is, whoa, 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 I'm so much greater than even that. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying to us, saying to every culture and every society, no matter what station you are in life, number one on your notes, Jesus said, the greatest accomplishment is obedient trust in him. Come on, where's my task, people? Where's my list, people? Come on. Don't you love when you got nine things and at 4.30 you just scratch number nine off? Whoo, it feels so good. And it's Thursday. It's not even Friday. Huh? Doesn't that feel good? Nothing wrong with that. That's good. Accomplishment is a good thing. Be proud if you graduate and you work hard and you have a check. That's good. But Jesus is bringing them to a place beyond ability, beyond success, beyond the Roman Empire, all of that. And he's saying, hold on. Let me tell you what the greatest accomplishment is. It's that you, have a, that you obey and trust in me. You want to know what the works of God Almighty are? The one who spoke the, and the world existed? The one who spoke and the universe was created? You want to know what his works are? Believe on the one he sent. That is success in life. 
That is how you learn about the great I am. Accomplishment. I haven't slept much the last few days. Y'all know that. Uh, weeks. But I've been home a little more, which is good. And is that my baby making noise? Yeah. If, if, someone, if a child's making noise, it's mine. We're in Chick-fil-A and you hear loud children, they're mine. It's just the way it is, no matter where. So because I was at home more, I have not been able to, you know, I'm checking emails when I can and working up early and late and whatever. Just you're, hot, right, you're just trying to keep it together. I don't have the office hours. I'm just trying to get it together. I'm not trying to, you know, cast vision for the church for the next 10 years, right? I'm just trying to get the kitchen clean and make sure the children are fed. They're with me, understand? So I'm doing all these menial tasks, and, and I'm a guy. I'm not primarily built for that. I can do anything short term. My wife is much better at running the home and raising children, right? I'm designed to work, right? That's Adam's curse. He has to work and provide. Woman has to run the home. But you got to do what you got to do, especially if you're going to have five kids. So I'm at home doing all these things, and at the end of the day, I'm just like, oh, my goodness. You know what I've done today? I've cleaned the kitchen three times. Three times. It's not a good feeling. It's, I, I can't spin it any other way. It doesn't feel good. Look at Stephen. He's cleaned the kitchen three times. Did I get a revelation from God? Did I plan an event? Did I, did I vision cast? Did I look at the next six months and plan sermons? Did I think about the men's group or this or that? Or all the things that I do as a job? No, I didn't. I did what I had to do. But I was studying this like on Friday, trying to get everything finished. Normally I don't Wednesday. And I was reading this and I thought, oh, Lord. My accomplishment. Has already been completed. There is nothing menial. Or that I'm doing that should be frustrating there is no amazing week that I get everything done or a really bad week that I don't get hardly anything done. Why? The greatest thing I can ever do has been done. It's been done by him. I just came and said, oh, God, my Savior, my Lord, I give you everything. Amen. You can never accomplish more than that. Is that right? You can never go farther in any academic setting, in any uh, making money setting. There's nothing you can do greater than this. Jesus says the work of God is that you believe on him who has he sent. You have achieved the highest of any pinnacle of humanity. Now from that place, you can do anything else in total peace and confidence. You've already achieved the greatest. Amen. He wants you to understand that's who he is, is the great I am. So no matter what you're doing in life, you can step forward like Paul and said, I have had lots. I have had little. I've been exalted. I've been abased. But in all things, I've learned to be content. Why? Because I've already come to Jesus. Amen. Now you can come and live in a place of peace all the time because of this. This is what Peter said. The driving business leader, Peter, who wanted list, who ran boats and people and companies. Look what he said in Second Peter 1, how he starts it off there. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith. The faith of Peter that saved him is the same faith you have in Jesus Christ. You need to know that first. The same faith that Peter had, you have. He says like precious faith. Amen. 
like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And his divine power, as his divine power, has given to us what? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. The Spirit of the Lord lives on the inside of us. Is is that not mind-blowing? God dwells in you. Let that soak in for a minute. We don't take that for granted. God dwells in all believers. Divine nature, having escaped having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Think about that accomplishment. Now, from that point, is anything, can anything derail us long term? Can anything stop you? No. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's look at one more scripture. The way... John ends this book that we're going to be studying the next few weeks. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you what? You may believe that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. If you have done that, John says, you have accomplished the highest pinnacle that mankind can accomplish. Now from that place, whatever you're doing in life, it doesn't matter if you're doing brain surgery or digging ditches. You're content. There is peace. There is joy in that, right? Because you've achieved. You know where you are. All right, let's keep looking here. Back in John 6. Verse 30. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What sign will you perform that you may that we may see it and believe you? This question doesn't actually make a lot of sense. If I were Jesus and they asked me this question, it would be you would give them the look like what? I'm sorry. What did you say? The reason is. We find it at the very beginning of John 6, 1. If you turn in your Bibles or in your apps, look at the very first verse, verse 1 and 2 of John chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then great multitudes, that's the same people asking these questions, right? Then great multitudes followed him. Why are they following him? Because the signs which he did. Whoa, wait a minute. The whole reason they're even there is all of these miraculous things. They already know. This this is a question they already know. They're following him because of all these miracles. And they walk and they say, listen, we understand that. But if you'll show us a greater sign, we'll believe you. This is a form of spiritual extortion. You know what spiritual, you know what extortion is? It's forcing someone or making someone pay a higher price than what it's worth. 
they come in, and remember, it's a mixed multitude. You've got some Jews, you've got Gentiles. Capernaum is just very mixed. It's a large city with about 50% Jew and 50% everything because it's a trade route area. So there's all kind of different people following, young, old, everything. And I'm going to tell you who's speaking because it, it's usually the same people every time. It's the Jewish leaders. They're usually always the first ones. They're, and they're in the synagogue, so they're the ones usually talking. If you'll just show us something greater then you know what, maybe we'll believe. This is, a, this is not only a hard heart. This, is, this sounds demonic in nature. Let me tell you why. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, what was the questions? You know what? I'll believe if you'll turn this, this rock right here into bread. Then I'll believe. That is, that is spiritual extortion. You're... You're, you push Jesus to a wall, or you try to, and you say, all right, paint a line right here. Pass this line, and I'll believe you. Whoa, 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 whoa. We have got the creator and the creation flipped, don't we, on that one? Number two on your notes. Discontentment is the enemy of your soul. You know what your enemy is? It's discontentment. Discontentment. Although they had seen the miracles and started following them. Although he fed them and they were full. And they looking for him because they want to make him king for their own personal preferences. For their own personal lives. They are so discontented with him, they still want more from him. It is the enemy of our souls. Nothing will separate us from Jesus, from good relationships like discontentment. It really will. It doesn't only affect humanity. It affected the world way before then, before any of humanity was even here. Look at what Jude says. He gives us some examples in Jude 1, 5 through 7. Let me turn there. Look at this. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. They could not be content with who God was. Look at verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain. You can read in Ezekiel, you can read in Revelation, you can read all over in the Bible. What happened before humanity? There was some discontentment that came in the heart of Lucifer discontentment that the glory of God and what he had and what he was, Lucifer wasn't enough and he wanted it. And in that moment, as Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven and the angels who were, what does it say right here? And the angels who kept their, who did not keep their proper abode, but left their own abode, I'm sorry, their proper domain, but left their own abode has, He has reserved an everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of that great day. And then he continues with Sodom and Gomorrah and everything else. That discontentment is the enemy of your soul. What is the first sin of Adam and Eve? A little discontentment, isn't it? We have everything here in perfection, but that right there I want. You can always see discontentment, can't you? It's on the face. You can always see where it is. Let's look at these pictures. You can see discontentment. 
Oh, yeah. You ever had kids? You had those days, huh? You get them all ready. You go to the bathroom, do everything. You bring them to the park. You put them in, and that's what they do. Mm-mm. What about this one? Mm-hmm. Anything green will make a child have that face right there. Anything green. Tell you something about discontentment, too. Discontentment never affects one person. Is that true? It never affects one. It's them and whoever else is around. Discontentment is the enemy of your soul. All right, let's keep looking here. Back in John. Thirty-three. So they have a conversation, and Jesus has to correct them. It, they say, "Look, Moses took care of us." Jesus said, "No, no, no. Moses didn't take care of you. God took care of you. Don't ever be confused. God alone. God alone. Amen. Not a spiritual leader. Not your spouse. Not government." God alone is your sustainer. God alone gives you life. I have such high confidence in my wonderful wife, but God alone. Amen? It'll keep you out of a world of trouble. So Jesus corrects him. Verse 33. For the bread of God, because he said, look, that That was natural manna that kept you guys alive. I'm not talking about natural things. I'm talking about everlasting things. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would he say that he has to give life to the world? He gives life to the world. The world's not good the way it is? No. The world is dead the way it is. Amen? The world is dead the way it is. I am dead in my sins and trespasses until Christ came in. He gives life to the world, and the world is in a state of total deadness. Not barely, not something, not, it's dead. Our souls are totally dead until he comes in. Number three on your notes. Christ alone is life in this world of death. Christ alone is life in this world of death. This is what Paul says in Romans 5. Romans 5, 17, and then we'll jump down to 21. For if by the one man's offense, Adam, death, what in the world? Reigned. It overtook, it ruled. Death reigned through the one much more, oh, something greater is coming, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will what? Reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Verse 21. So that as sin, what? Reigned, it ruled in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the language we need to have. Oh, we just need to have a, I was dead without Jesus. That'll get people's attention. You start telling people that you didn't have a good life or, you know, you're happier now or you say, you know, um, I really understand relationships better. 
because I'm a Christian, that's all well and fine. But that will not turn the heart of a sinner. You know what turns the heart of a sinner? When you look at him and say, I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I was going to hell until Jesus came in and he'd made me alive. Now that will make someone turn their head and listen. Amen? That's the language we must use. That's the biblical language. That's the language that turns the heart. All right, one last here. Verse 35. And Jesus said to them, such beautiful words. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. The completeness of that statement is that just as water and food are needed, and it is the sustainer of your physical life, so I am the complete sustainer of your spiritual life. I am the completeness of your eternal life. Number four in your notes. Christ alone provides fulfillment. It's full fulfillment. Christ alone provides fulfillment. All right, let me end this thing with a story. On Saturday, I took four children to give my wife a break. Is it Saturday? Saturday. I took four children to the Children's Museum to give my wife a break. That's a good thing, right? I'm headed down Ambassador, no, Albertson Parkway, and I look, and lo and behold, a new discount bakery. Now, there's two things that touch deep into the soul of Pastor Stephen. One is anything baked. Baked. Oh, I love breads, cakes, cookies, honey buns. And two is discounts. <laughs> Come on now. You have met. Oh, what a beautiful union. Oh, come on now. Discount and bakery. I'm in the minivan and it's a little old, but I'm telling you, the kids didn't know this. That's why we have Bright Tax, the top line um, car seats. I screeched the tires and whipped that thing in. Wrong. I said, kids, we are all going to get one baked good. I don't care that it's 1030 in the morning and you already had sugar cereal. This is going to be so good. We went in three for a dollar. Honey, but look, get whatever you want. One got a bag of chips. The others, I even let Abby pick her own. This is the first time ever. I let her. She is two in a, in a few months. She cannot put on her own pants, but I let her pick the honey bun. And she, this is a bow and anointing. She picked the biggest honey bun. It was not only a honey bun. It was a honey bun filled with that cream cheese stuff and then chocolate on top of that. Oh, y'all know what? Y'all are prophets. Y'all know the end of this. So I got four. I get them in the car and I'm trying to say, okay, listen, you're going to eat this and take this. Well, I kind of forgot because she's not loud. She's not making any noise. I buckled in. I handed her honey bun. I'm trying to get everything going. And as soon as I get it all going, I turn around. And I say, okay, listen, y'all are going to eat half of this stuff. Half. That's it. No more. By the time I can turn around and tell that, 
how in the world a two-year-old can do this? She has a tiny little piece left of that giant honey bun. She has consumed it like a lion ravenously eating. How is that even humanly possible? And then my foolishness ended and daddy kicked in. And I thought, oh no, what have I done? I'm bringing them to the museum. It's 1030 in the morning. All they had is cereal. And she has just eaten not only a giant honey bun, an old discounted one. That way leads to destruction. Everything was good for about the first hour. And then the devil attacked. She went bad every way that could be bad. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, I gave her... I didn't, does my wife even know this? I'm glad she's not there. She, she, she lost her mind. She never had so much sugar and everything. I mean, she was running around. Everything was good for an hour. And then she lost it. And it was bad for the rest of the day. Now, let me tell you why I say this. The other children actually listened and knew, okay, I can't eat all of this. I'm not allowed they all kept the rules. Zoe kind of scraped the top a little bit. She's only five. She tests. But they all knew, I can only have so much of this. This is a special thing. It's early in the morning. But the two-year-old, she doesn't know. She has no clue where her fulfillment comes from, nor does she know what that thing's going to do to her. All she knows is, I want that and I want all of that. Because she doesn't know what fulfills her. She has no clue what that's going to do to her. That's what children do, right? That's what they do. Amen. That's what that's what children do. Now, thinking about this, these people are standing there looking at the bread of life. They're looking at them. But with little faith, they got disciples, you've got other people, you got all these groups. They're standing there looking at the bread of life. And verse 36 says, But I said to you that you may that you but I say, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. They did not believe that what they were looking at sustained them fully so they would go off and find something else. They had no comprehension because they were immature that that alone was perfect and pure and they, you would go off and find something in your life. That's crazy, isn't it? But immaturity does that. Let's stand up. One last scripture. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up to mature the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, that's a complete mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be what? Children. That we should no longer be children. That we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro by giant honey buns. 
and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up mature in all things into him who is, who is the head, Christ. You can bring that out. Put that there. Go get my bread. I got one last illustration. You can bring that bread out whenever you're ready. We're going to take communion. We're going to do it differently than we have before, just to help us illustrate it. These people were tossed to and fro. That's not us. If Christ is yours, you have him and you're growing up into the fullness of God. What he's doing is he's looking at them and he's saying, I want to tell you something. I am the single loaf. I am the whole perfect supplier of everything you need. Don't worry about the manna that Moses, that's inferior. Don't worry about the 5,000 loaves you just saw. That's inferior. Myself and myself alone is the pure perfect. And it comes in one place in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? He wanted in all the crowds and craziness and busyness and noise and the synagogue and the lights and everything going on in that busy synagogue and in busy church, he wanted everyone to stop. He says, I want to bring you to one place. I'm the bread of life. He who eats of me will never hunger. And he who drinks of me will never thirst again. Amen. This is the great I am. Just a picture. It's just bread. It is organic. I got the best I could get. Thinking, I'll just tell him it's, it's, it really is organic. So I can at least illustrate its purity. You'll feel better after eating this. So this is the way we're going to do communion. Because it represents him and what he is and everything he did. So everyone's going to come and you're going to pull from this single loaf that grosses you out. Just get a little, yeah, you have to get over it. <laughs> you're going to pull from the single source. And you remember that he who comes to him will never hunger and never thirst. Amen. So what I want you to do is with the time we have many come and you get whatever piece you want. And then you'll come and get the juice and then go sit down and we'll take communion together. Amen. So once you come forward, just your closest, everybody just start coming forward.
right? I like buying something and looking on the back and not being able to read the words are so big, mono, sodium, glucose. That's bad usually. But when you look at it and it just says organic wheat, that's good, right? Single source. He is the single source for all your needs. He's the single source for all eternal life, for all emotional and mental. He's the single source for physical. He's the single source for everything. Now that is peace beyond comprehension. That is joy unspeakable. Just a minute. Hold that bread in your hand. For we are all one body, many parts, but one body. And holding this bread represents it so well. We pulled from one loaf. There's pieces all over the room, but it all came from one place. Though we're many, we're one in him. Let's take the bread. Lord, we thank you. You are the great I am. You are the bread of life. We thank you that when we come to you, we won't hunger. And when we drink of you, we will never thirst. Let's take the juice. Let's stand and thank him as we end our service.
in the blood. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you came down, that you gave yourself so that we could be redeemed, that your sacrifice, your pure, perfect body, Lord, was given so that we could be forgiven. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you that we can know you intimately, parts of your personality. We can grow in you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages. We thank you that your word goes in us. It will produce. It never returns void as we go out to our lives and to our week. In the name of, of all names, we thank you. And we've asked this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week.